This is Chris Peltz, host of the Blind Grilling Experience, and you're listening to the AT Banter Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Oh no, we're having trouble with the cowbell again, right? You you didn't hear that? No, no. no so no, you know no, what okay. it is then. Yeah, we're stopping the show. We can't we can't go on without a cowbell. This is that's been just two weeks in a row. I've looked at Zoom and I cannot yep. find the original audio setting anymore. It's gone. No. Okay, well then we even though it says it's under advanced, it's not there for me, so I we, can't turn it on. Okay, that's that's fine. Who's playing the role of the cowbell today? I see it right on my screen right here. It's oh, right on my screen right here. <laughs> I, it's right on my screen. I have original. Yeah, I don't have, I have a little. We're I have taking, a little toggle for on or off. On I used okay, to. Well, until we until we figure this out, don't worry. Me and Ryan will go. We'll dig under the hood. We'll figure this out this week. But I know. In the meantime, I'm doing this again, and somebody needs to step up and be the cowbell. So you just talk amongst yourselves. Figure it out. Here we go. Hey, and welcome to a, another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter, bong. bong. <laughs> well, that worked out. So that was so well coordinated. <laughs> much better. Swimmingly, we'll I see it. what you did there. Nicely Thank done. You. Thank you. Uh, we'll go with that. Uh, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today in no particular order. Miss Liz Malone. Wow! Oh my God, I'm a little speechless. I'm never, I'm never one. I know. She's still talking. Don't so, you up. Uh, <laughs> hey, look who else is here. It's Miss that motorcycle. <laughs> hey, look. Oh, well, we've else. just lost a host. <laughs> <laughs> look who it is. It's Mr. Steve Barkley. COVID sucks. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Uh, and hey, it's Ryan Flurry. Haven't had COVID yet. <laughs> toot toot, said the caboose. Toot toot. <laughs> uh, let's start with that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about who in this room got COVID. <laughs> I have I have tested negative three times for COVID. My son had COVID. We had exactly the same symptoms. And I talked to my doctor today and she said, no, nah, those tests have so many false negatives. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was quite surprised by that. Yeah. So you oh wait, so how so you got COVID. So you odds are I probably did have COVID, even though yeah. I tested negative. Right. Uh. Yeah, cool. Well, because you, I remember you telling me the symptoms last week, and it sure sounded like COVID to me. So. Yeah. Oh, I'm still, I've still got them. I'm, I'm still. Oh, no way. Stuffy. I'm going through coughing spells. I, hopefully, I'll make it through the podcast. But, uh, but yeah, all of a sudden, I'll just be, you know, sitting about, and and I will, you know, turn into a massive coughing ball of phlegm for <laughs> no good reason. Man, well, it's sexy. <laughs> sexy. Well, um, well, listen, you know, if we not we we may not get Joe Rogan analytics on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, but however, we have the hardest working hosts around because last (laughs) week, Liz showed up wounded with an avocado wound and still, oh no, not an avocado wound. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, Steve's coming with COVID. I mean, the show must go on is is our motto around here 
Yeah. Next Most it'll be time. a bagel. Everybody stay away from bagels. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, do, how do you like bagels, Liz? I'm a little scared to slice a bagel. Yeah. Well, you should I think, be. I think it could be uh, a, a very bloody sequel. Well, to... whose idea was it to slice them horizontally? I don't well, know. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like, know. That's but dangerous. If you, if you cut them vertically, um, you, where are you going to spread the, the, the cream? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's right. You, I'm just it. you would turn it into a dipping thing. Like it's I guess a hazard. I, I mean, that could work. You, you could, just cut them up. You cube them up real small. You throw your cream cheese in on top of it. You stir <laughs> it all up and you eat it with a spoon. What's the problem? I, I don't understand. Actually, that sounds pretty good. Actually, trademark, <laughs> trademark, trademark. Uh, that's ours. If anybody out there is considering stealing that idea and opening up a restaurant. New from AT sure. Banter, the Bagel Bowl. <laughs> God. Whew. All right. Wow. Intro over. Boom. Put that one in the bank because that's, uh, that's a great idea. No, okay. it's not. <laughs> you can tell how great our ideas are most of the time. That's right. You know, we should one of these one of these anniversary shows. We should all get together in the same room and put together all the AT banter recipes we've had over the eight years. Actually, that's true. Actually, that would make for an interesting book. <laughs> Fail the AT banter cookbook. Yeah, we've had a few. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Big, bagel bowls and bloody avocado. <laughs> <laughs> blood pudding's a thing why not yeah there you go avocado sanguinette <laughs> all right enough nonsense hey ryan yeah rob just what the heck are we doing today today we are talking to scott reese who has earlier this summer swam our local georgia Strait as a fundraiser for canadian guide dogs scott welcome to the show Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it is a pleasure. Uh, we want to hear all about uh, this uh, swimming the Georgia Strait because uh, it sounds... None of us could do it. Yeah, exactly. It sounds incredibly <laughs> difficult. And, <laughs> and so I have it. questions. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could do it anymore either, so don't feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will get there, but maybe just to open things up, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about uh, your your vision journey? Sure. This year, I, I rung in 40, the big 40, so that gives you my age. I've, I've got a degenerative eye condition that everyone's probably heard of retinitis pigmentosa so as a kid i was well sighted and uh, you know i started to find challenges in some ball sports and things in my maybe in my early teens and it progressed from there you know night vision loss to just a general slip and slide of uh, what you can see until you get to a point of losing most of your functional vision so i'd say Really, in the last 10 to 15 years is when I lost a lot more of my sight. Prior to that, uh, you know, compared to your average perfectly sighted person, my eyes were probably crap, but I didn't know the difference. And I, I was, uh, in my world, I was doing everything that I you know, would have with, with, with good vision. So uh, that's that's been the eyesight story. I'm a husband and a father of two young kids, and I... You know, work in downtown Vancouver and uh, live on the North Shore and 
um, two years ago got placed into the Canadian Guide Dogs program and added uh, Caleb is my yellow lab that we added to the family a couple of years ago. So that's me in a nutshell. So in terms of, of, of getting the guide dog, um, what, what was that process like to sort of decide to do that? Or what, was it suggested to you or is that something you, you sought out? Well, it was, it became a necessity maybe, let's say I, you know, with vision loss that is progressive, um, or at least for me, myself, I'm not sure other people's experiences, but I, I struggled with it a bit in terms of, um, identifying, I guess, identifying myself as a uh, partially sighted or blind person, like needing, needing assistance. Uh, I was very stubborn and ended up giving myself lots of uh, injuries relating to being stubborn, you know, like when I didn't know I couldn't see well enough to uh, cycle to work anymore, or I didn't know I couldn't see well enough to run to work. And so it's, it was more uh, uh, by necessity that I slowly transitioned from uh i don't need any help to okay i can't really go anywhere unless i'm grabbing onto someone's arm or shoulder to okay that that kind of sucks because i i'm really stuck so i'd better learn to use a cane and then i i never really um you know i never really knew if if it would stabilize or stop somewhere along the way and hopefully that would have been you know earlier on in vision loss but it didn't and and i just wanted to get to the point of having a dog because i knew it would uh, give me a lot more uh, freedom of mobility instead of uh you know the memorized routes and things that i that i did learn with my cane i, I felt like i'd have a lot more flexibility and freedom and speed uh, with a guide dog and of course then the added benefit being um having a dog is awesome too so what was that process like for you and where did you go to get the dog and, and how did you decide to, to go there? Yeah. So I, I, I started applying for guide dogs, uh, maybe a year or so, um, before I got one. And initially I didn't know about Canadian guide dogs for the blind. I had applied to another program and I hadn't heard anything and, and, um, and I did a little bit more digging and applied to a couple more programs and Canadian guide dogs for the blind came through relatively quickly. They had the right dog for me based on their assessment of my mobility and my um, physical activity and personality and matching that with, with a dog. And so I went through their process quite quickly once I put my application in and, and, headed off to Eastern Canada, uh, to, well, I should say Ottawa, um, to, um, go to their training facilities and do a couple weeks intensive training, uh, to learn the ropes of navigating with a dog. So that was two years ago in July. So July, 2021. And so was that kind of something that once you, once you sort of went through all that process and, and you got Caleb, in your mind, were you kind of like, oh, man, I, I really wish I would have done this like a year ago or two years ago, or do you feel like the timing was, was pretty much right? I certainly would have benefited from going through the process earlier. Um, you know, it was a stubbornness thing and, a, you know, not wanting to need it, but not living <laughs> in line with the realities of my situation. So I became very reliant for a period of time on people, right? Like friends and my wife and family members and things to get around. You know, if I'd leave work for a 
for a beer or something, you know, I was always obviously going with someone and, 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 and they had to take me every step of the way. And it, it, it wasn't super functional or independent. And you get to the point where you realize that that's not good for you or not good for anyone else. And so you just got to make the steps. So yes, I would have, I would have been much better off um, getting with the program and, and getting to that decision earlier. Same with the cane training. I, I would have benefited from learning how to use a cane two years before I did. You know, that's, that seems to be like a, a real common story that we hear a lot from people. You know, a lot of people are stubborn like that and say they need to use, be using, say, a mobility cane. You know, they just, they, it feels kind of like admitting defeat. Yeah, I think that's just human nature. You know, we've been going through those sorts of things, watching our parents age too, right? It's like, no, I don't yeah. want to use a cane. No, I don't want to use a walker. You know, there's there's always the resistance to admitting that, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're not as good as you were yesterday, but, uh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Same, same, like, uh, <laughs> um, exactly with elderly people losing mobility. It's, I think it's the same experience, um, just many years earlier. Um, so, you know, putting, putting on the contact lenses one day and then deciding another day that there's no longer any point in sticking these things in your eyes because you still can't see when you have them in, but I didn't want to give up putting in my contact lenses because it just felt like I, you know, that was giving up on seeing kind of. And and so um, I guess it's similar to that is just not wanting to give up on being a sighted person uh, and getting, getting your head wrapped around identifying uh, as, as someone who you weren't before. Right. Yeah, well, you know, and that's the funny part about it is that's a really big contrast between that not having the independence to uh, going going and swimming the Georgia Strait. Talk to us a little bit about how that came about and and what that process was like. Yeah, well, it was a good, uh, it was such a great improvement in my lifestyle and mobility and all the things that came with with you know, working on learning to use a cane and then, and then getting a dog, especially and Canadian guide dogs, you know, giving, giving me that freedom of mobility uh, by placing me into their program and, and placing me with Caleb. I felt gratitude for that and, and the program and knowing how much uh, effort and money goes into training these, these guide dogs to help people like me that can, you know, come in, off an application form and, and walk away with an extremely well-trained, awesome dog free of charge. You know, it's, it's, and, and none of that being government subsidized that all just being from the goodwill of, you know, donors who are donating to guide dog programs in the country. I, I just thought it was, it was an amazing um, gift. And my, my experience being altered by having become a guide dog user, I decided I was in a position that I could try to give back because I haven't done a lot of uh, fundraising or, or giving back uh, in the community uh, like yourselves are great advocates. Um, I, I've, I've never really been out there being involved and, and I felt like it was high time to do something. So fundraising for Canadian guide dogs just, felt like something that I wanted to do. And then swimming is, is something that I've done since childhood. Uh, I was always a competitive swimmer. Um, 
you know, I dropped it in favor of some other activities when my eyes uh, allowed it. Like I used to do a lot of whitewater kayaking, downhill skiing, mountain biking, things like that, that became uh, less possible uh, as, as my vision deteriorated. And so I got back into swimming and, and swimming just seemed like a, a natural fit for doing something. And, and, and it was a big challenge for me. I'd never swum more than about 10 K. So to, to go to the Georgia Strait, going up to a 30 K swim for me was a big personal, uh, mental and physical challenge that I wanted to take on and see if I could do it. You know, Scott, Scott, I've, um, I've, I, I took my dive certification off of, uh, uh, White Cliff in West Vancouver. Um, yeah. I've, I've dove, uh, the inside passage in various places out to, uh, probably Hornby islands, the furthest, uh, towards the island I've done, nice. uh, yeah. I've, I've done it in, I've done it in wetsuits and of course immediately got my dry suit certification after that. So, <laughs> so my, my question to you is what the hell is wrong with you and what on <laughs> earth did you wear when you're doing that, a 30 K swim across? Cause that water's like nine degrees Celsius at best, I think. Well, at times it is, but in the middle of July, it, it definitely peaks higher than that. Some of my training swims earlier in the year were eight, nine, ten degrees Celsius water, which was horribly cold. Um, July, I think the water temp out there was probably somewhere around fourteen or fifteen for the most part. There might have been a little bit of colder water, but I, I agree with you, and that's that's why I broke all of the, you know, open water swim rules about no wetsuits if, if you want to get on the list of people that have officially done the english channel uh you're not allowed to wear a wetsuit and i just couldn't fathom spending 10 to 12 hours in the water without a wetsuit on uh, given those temperatures so i you know i broke the rules but also i created my own event so i guess i just made my own my own rules and and wore a wetsuit and and uh that was fine right because you're exerting yourself the whole time and and so between the wetsuit and just having that active level i didn't get cold but but i i agree like that water out there can be pretty brisk at times that's how how much do you have to take in in the way of calories to make a swim like that uh, I was recommended by a, a friend that's a nutritionist. I, she talked to one of her friends who was in the sports nutrition side of things, and they suggested that I target 300 calories, uh, 300 calories every hour or so. Um, so I ended up trying to do that every 45 minutes. I, I did a 45-minute stop interval on the swim uh, just to – just to rehydrate, take some, take some food in, and also just have a, a mental break from having your head in the water and chat with the guys on the boat. And, you know, it just felt, it, it just felt good at those stop points to like have your head up above the water. So I, I really used my, my feeding stops as like nice little targets on the, you, you know, across the crossing to uh, break up the swim into something that was, a little bit more mentally uh, palatable, right? Um, so yeah, lots of calories. Like if I if I ate like that every day, which uh, which I'm trying not to anymore because I'm not exercising <laughs> as much. I'd, I'd I'd be about 400 pounds before you know it. <laughs> probably end to end, probably able to do that swim without a wetsuit. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice layer of lover. Yeah. <laughs> How many members made up the team? It, well, the team kind of grew in a weird exponential way in terms of support and stuff for the swim, which we can talk about. But the, the core team of like the guys on the boat, um, I had uh, some really good friends of mine, uh, my buddy Tom, it was his boat. He he was kind of organizing all the logistics with um, talking to the ports and dealing with marine safety and weather and making, you know, we had to delay it a day from when I had actually planned to swim because the winds were 20 knots from the southeast and totally unfavorable conditions with like big waves. Um, and, and so he, you know, Tom was watching those aspects along with my friend Yost who um, helped coordinate all the all the boat logistics but also did a lot of training swims took me out um, he'd always be on the other end of the headset um, talking to me um, because I, I use a bone conduction headset to swim and get uh, directions from a kayaker or a boat um, to keep me on track so you know there was Tom and there was Yost there was a friend uh, Ben, who's a doctor who came along to make sure that all my vitals and stuff were good. I had a, a, a group of guys that I trained with, uh, Greg and Jamie and Jotham. And um, and then Donovan Tiltsley is a Paralympic blind swimmer. I, I met him this year through the uh, fundraiser campaign that I that I launched, and, and he uh, supported it, got behind it. It was super friendly, and so I asked him if he'd be keen to come out and hop in and swim a segment with me and so he he came along on the day of too so yeah there was a few guys there my my brother-in-law and my father-in-law they came along on a secondary boat to give backup support in case any issues came up on on the primary boat with um you know mechanical issues or anything that we'd be able to keep going on the effort and not have to cancel the swim and then there's just like the huge team of support from my wife and family and friends that you know Alex my wife got me like allowed me to take all this time with having a newborn baby and a three-year-old and I was still getting out for lots of training swims and um you know that was a big that was a big gift of her to give me to give me that opportunity and um man the list just goes on and on I met people that helped with marketing and and um you know organizing pub nights and doing doing all sorts of stuff that was way beyond what i could have ever uh conceived of doing by myself and did canadian guide dogs know you were doing this um, for them well yeah I, I hatched the plan in my mind i knew i wanted to do a fundraiser and i i knew i wanted to pair it up with the swim and so i i kind of did the preliminary planning of what it would be before i told them but they were very supportive they were happy to have a a client that was interested to do some fundraising and um you know they facilitated the 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 event via the fundraiser page and uh, helped to promote it on their side and things like that too so um they were definitely behind it um on the other side of canada promoting it over there and and um Jane, the founder, she she came out on the day of the swim, so it was great to have her at the beach and being there to support it. Well, it looks like you guys reached your goal as well. You've actually gone past your goal, which is great. Yeah, it was it was really cool. The the goal, the initial goal was ten thousand dollars, 
which just seemed like, you know, a reasonable starting point and quickly broke that and we had to reset the goal a few times, but and it ended it at a hundred, but the fundraisers uh, up around one sixty at the moment. And, and um, for the most part it's, it's done. Uh, but I did just hear yesterday about um, another, another donor, a corporate donor that's going to be putting in 6,000. So there's dribs and drabs still coming in. I suspect it's, it's mostly run its course, but it's pretty neat to see how people got behind it. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about the, I mean, this actual process of all the planning, because it sounds like, you know, this is, is something that, you know, you sort of think of one night, you, you know, you, you bolt up in, in bed and be like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. But sort of taking it from that sort of, you know, germ of an idea to actually doing the swim it sounds like there was a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that you, you had to plan out. How long did, did the whole process sort of take? Yeah, it's a good question. I, it was a long process. There was a lot involved as, as, as you've said, but um, I think the plan started kind of coming into my mind a few years ago that I'd like to someday do a big marathon swim. Um, I didn't know exactly what or where, but the idea of the Georgia Strait had been on my mind before. I'd, I'd done a couple of swims in um, Vancouver through the Vancouver Open Water Swim Association. Uh, they used to hold an event across English Bay called the Bay Challenge. And that was my experience doing a 10-kilometer 10, 10 swim. And uh, so through doing some longer swims like that, I, I'd had my sights a little bit on the Georgia Strait someday, maybe, Um then I guess I just decided I was kind of reflecting on what I mentioned earlier about wanting to do something to give back, do some fundraising. Um, and I also wanted a, a good personal uh, athletic challenge and realizing that I'm not getting any younger and it, it's not going to get easier 10 years from now. Uh, maybe it gets slightly easier in terms of the kids being a little bit older and, and more self-sufficient, but the, the body doesn't doesn't uh, hold up right so it, it was it was the time was right so i i guess the plan hatched in december um and then i started talking to people about it kind of late last year uh into january i, I got the the core team kind of support you know behind me and and helping and and then it just it was the next 6 months was a lot of swimming and a lot of a lot of planning and many, many people's donated time. So, um, yeah, I'd say for me, the hardest aspect was the training, um, more than the swim on the day of even, um, just, just because it, day in and day out, I needed to make sure I got the right amount of exercise so that I wouldn't mess it up. I didn't, I didn't want to have a failed attempt. And so, uh, you know, I'd get up very early for an hour and a half spin bike before work, or I'd, you know, go for an hour and a half swim at lunch. And every day, whether you're tired or or whatever, you're you're pushing yourself to to do that. So it was it was it was hard. There's days where you don't want to, but uh, it was also, I think, really a good mental challenge just to have that goal and not want to mess it up. And so it gave me a certain amount of determination to to make sure I didn't. Uh, skip my training days and stuff. 
and, and I mean, not only that, not only are you sort of training for the actual event, but then, you know, I'm really curious about sort of the, the marketing side of it too, because, you know, for obviously for fundraising events like this, you know, if, if the marketing is on point or, you know, you don't get the word out there or, or, or nobody picks up on it, you know, that's obviously going to affect how, you know, affect the, the fundraising component of that. So what was that like? Did you have sort of people, um, you know, helping you with that or, you know, how quickly did sort of the media pick up on it? Because, I mean, that's sort of how we caught wind of you is, you know, we saw, we saw the article on CBC and it seems like the, the media really did eventually pick up on it. Um, how, how did, how, how was that? And, and what sort of support did you get for that? part of it yeah absolutely that side was that was the big surprise factor for me was was like the media attention and i have a few specific people that are owed big thanks for that it's it's you know friends like a friend of mine elizabeth that was very well connected with lots of people and and just got this thing out on you know there were politicians were were tweeting about it and my friend Connor contacted uh, without me knowing at the time, he, he just reached out and contacted a whole bunch of news outlets and told them about it. And uh, funny enough, you know, the Vancouver sun ran a story. And then as soon as they ran that short little story, all the other uh, newspapers and uh, news outlets um, were calling and wanted to do stories. And, and so it, it grew really quickly uh, through a couple of like, you know, a lot of people reposting and doing things on social media that, that, you know, I don't even know half of what was out there, but there was a couple of key players. Also my friend Yost, you know, was running my social media accounts for it. We were trying to keep it active, like, you know, posting every few days throughout the training leading up, trying to keep it sort of interesting for people to follow my training and have some stories along the way. I'm not a marketing guy. So you know, I know I, you're able to see what is successful with other people, but I certainly don't have very many tricks up my sleeve. But, uh, you know, some of the people that that helped me out just did a fantastic job with it and um, took it to a whole nother level, like from my 10,000 goal to, you know, get a 16x on that is, is just it was inconceivable at the beginning. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could see we I was. I became a little bit obsessed with uh, <laughs> checking the the fundraiser page, you know, <laughs> in the morning every day to see what had happened, and it was interesting to see how it came came in spurts. But you could certainly see how certain events, like like maybe the first big uh, news blast by North Shore News and Global, that went out on the same um, during the same week, that that just really elevated things. And then uh, you could kind of see coincident with some of these uh, national and, and or at least provincial national news stories that went out, like you'd see blips on the, on the fundraising as it came in. So I never expected the story to, to air on, you know, national TV. And that, that certainly helped. Now in terms of the training now, I, I, and I've never really, I've, I've never swam, uh, you know, competitively, certainly, uh, you know, and only just like laps in a pool, but it seems to me that, there, there must be a really big difference in terms of when you're training in a pool and when you're training in the ocean, because in the ocean, you've got like currents, you've got waves. So I'm sure that swimming 10K in a pool is going to be very different than swimming the same distance um, in in the open water. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? 
Yeah, 10K in the pool is like horribly boring and painful. <laughs> um, I, I've done a couple of 10K pool swims and you're just in the, you're in there for three plus hours just swimming laps and it's, it's uh, mind numbing stuff. Um, but you're right. And swimming in the ocean has, has these environmental conditions that make it more challenging in a different way. Uh, like, you know, the waves, when you're trying to get into the rhythm of breathing and every time you come up for a breath, there's a wave or, you know, um, or you're taking strokes and every second stroke is plowing into the next wave because it's not a smooth flat surface anymore. Um, those, those factors, they're, they're challenging physically because, you know, when you lose your cadence or you lose your breath and then you you miss a breath and then you've got to go another few seconds before you put your head up for another breath, it, it, it throws you off for sure. And it, it, it plays into the, the head game of like, you know, you know, you, you start to not panic, but you start to feel a certain amount of concern when, when you swallow a gulp of water instead of air, those sorts of things aren't, aren't great. Um, but it's also more, I'd say it's more fun and, and dynamic, uh, than pool swimming. Um, you know, I don't love swimming into patches of seaweed either. Those, that those, for whatever reason, I've always had this weird yeah. irrational fear of uh, weeds and seaweed and running into sticks and things like that, that you just, when you're not expecting it and you don't see it coming, uh, and all of a sudden you're on top of it and in it, it's, it's not a, not a pleasant feeling, at least not, not for me. So um, I think it's maybe just because of that dynamic nature of open water swimming where things are changing um, and you're thinking about, well, yeah, you can go pretty deep in your head about whatever you're thinking about, but there's always, you know, it always comes back to what, what else are you thinking about orcas and animals and yeah. things that might be out there and you just, you know, it, it makes the time pass in a different way. That's a lot more exciting. Right. Do you have any encounters with sea life? Uh, no. And, you know, I'm glad for that. I, I <laughs> you know, I, as cool as it would have been to get surrounded by a pot of orcas um, that <laughs> would have also, you know, don't want to be the, the first ever reported case of like a, a human swimmer <laughs> being killed by an orca um, yeah. in the, in the wild. Um, but, you know, like our, our waters are pretty benign compared to a lot of places. Like you know, we don't, we don't have, as far as I know, we don't have the sharks and things. I've heard a couple stories of uh, rogue sharks making it further north than they're supposed to, but really we, we have pretty safe water other than currents and cold. Right. And, the, uh, the orcas eat them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of training, like it's interesting, my friends that kayak along with me when I, when I do swim will often tell me that there's a seal that is following me or, you know, it seems like some of these animals are a little bit curious, uh, but uh, nothing, nothing dramatic ever seems to happen. Well, I, I don't know if you know this, but the Vancouver Aquarium, when they rehab uh, seals that have been injured, uh, they release them in house sound. Okay. Uh, so there are an awful lot of ridiculously friendly seals out there. 
you, you see them every now and then when you're diving, they, they, they'll, they'll just come up and they'll, they'll get right in your face. Really? That's uh, that's a little bit disconcerting if you're not expecting it, I guess. Eh? Uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty funny. It's, it's uh, cause, cause usually they, they get attracted to you when you're taking photos. So the flash, okay. the flash goes off and all of a sudden they home in on the flash. And I've actually had uh, turned around while I was taking pictures and I had a buddy who was, behind me with a seal on his shoulder and uh, and then i tried to take pictures of that seal and i couldn't because the seal kept on pressing his face into my camera (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny yeah well i don't know maybe uh you know the the encounters might be closer than i'm even aware of maybe they're just the friends aren't even willing to tell me how uh how dangerously close i came to getting eaten by a sea lion (laughs) but um yeah. Anything about the swim that really surprised you or that you weren't expecting? Well, I knew it was going to be a very hard swim for me. My biggest training swim was only half that time and distance. And, and so, you know, I was going from a five hour swim to a 10 hour swim. And I, every point of information between there was unknown. Like, I, I, you know, I knew my body was pretty sore after five hours. So, um, I was expecting kind of all of that stuff. Uh, I also knew that I was going to be out there long enough that I'd be experiencing the better part of a full tide cycle. Um, but I did think that the tides would push me more laterally. Um, like on the flood tide, I was expecting to get pushed off course to the West and on an ebb tide, I was expecting to get pushed off course to the East, but there was a period of about three hours in the middle of my swim where um, my pace just dropped in half and, and it was like a sudden, a sudden drop in my, in my speed without a change in my stroke rate. And so that current that I thought would take me sideways was definitely a little bit more head on and it was like swimming upstream. Um, so that, that was, uh, that was probably the most unexpected thing that happened and it, and it took my, time projections from you know a very optimistic start I was I was swimming pretty fast for the first 10k and then all of a sudden at about 15 I hit this current that really took off my pace and and uh and then I I really suffered I I suppose you'd say for the for the second half of the swim I was popping ibuprofens and uh just hoping my arms would uh, keep turning over (laughs) so not bad They've been me and mile one. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, mentioning the uh, the use of uh, the ibuprofen and everything, I'm curious to know what what was your recovery like in terms of like when you know when you you've made the mark. I mean, were you just like like a what, what, could you even stand? I mean, did you did you have to have any medical treatment or or what was that like? Well, I, yeah, um, this is probably a sign of my poor swimming technique because my legs were pretty fine. Like I got out on the beach and um, I stood there uh, for about an hour and a half drinking um, drinking beer because uh, Tapworks and Gibson's actually, this was a really cool part of the fundraiser. They they got behind it and um, brewed a beer. They called the Guide Dog Session Ale and proceeds from that beer sales went to the fundraiser. And so they, they uh, sent a keg to the finish line and um there was a bit of a landing party there friends and family and and total strangers that came down just to check it out and 
there was a keg of beer. So I, you know, I swam for 11 hours and then I got out on the beach and I drank beer for an hour and a half. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. But like the longer term recovery was my shoulders were fried for sure. And it took me, it, it took me a good, uh, you know, five or six days uh, to feel right again in my shoulders. And then, and then probably another two or three weeks after that, before they felt okay in the pool, like it was, they were, they were pretty banged up. Um, maybe the thing that I, I didn't expect uh, the most in terms of my physical condition was the um, salt mouth, which my salt in my mouth was just completely raw. Um, my tongue and my throat and my nose and everything was just super sore mm. from the salt water. And I, I guess I had overlooked the fact that gargling salt water for 11 hours is, is not good for you. Mm. Um, so it took a few days before I could uh, eat or drink without, without it being fairly sore. Wow. Um, yeah, I would not have thought of that. Does, but, does that have any sort of effect on your skin as well? Uh, it, it, so that was a big concern for me because in some of my training swims and in previous years, um, I've had some really bad uh, chafing on my neck where my wetsuit rubs when you, when you turn for a breath, it, it just moves a little bit, but repeat that, you know, 30,000 times and all of a sudden you're gushing blood out of your neck sort of thing. So, um, I, but I knew about that cause I'd, I'd experienced it. And so I did a lot of troubleshooting with, with my friend, Ben, the doctor in terms of working out strategies. I, I you know, I, I'd, I'd worked with like just putting on Vaseline on my neck and, and reapplying it, um, every time that I stopped for food and drink. But, um, he also gave me some new skin, which is like a spray on skin stuff that, um, really helped me like with my ears because th those also tend to get chafed and bleed um, with those longer swims. And so, yeah, I, 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 skin issues for sure. Like any chafe points in your wetsuit are, are going to be a problem, but I had kind of learned my lessons uh, with training and um, I was just like completely doused in Vaseline and constantly re doused in Vaseline throughout my swim. <laughs> Because, I mean, it sounds like the, the planning stage, you guys did incredibly well in thinking of everything. Was there anything that did kind of go sideways uh, on the day? Um, nothing, nothing really. No, I mean, I have to credit that to the, the crew and those guys, you know, uh, I'm an engineer and my friends are that, that the, the key support guys are a group of engineers. And they're obviously um uh, actually the, Tom is in the marine business too. So he, he's very in the world of shipping and, and stuff. And I, you know, they prepared a, a document, like a coordination document beforehand, just with, you know, the, uh, coast guard phone numbers, the port phone numbers, uh, procedures, medical things to watch for and stuff. And they, they really put together a detailed, um, uh, basically like an operating manual on, what to do on the day of they had they had it all covered off so that i can't i can't say anything went badly on on the day of other than me uh fading out a little bit and and uh hitting that current in the middle there was there was there was no uh no real issues 
Well, I guess with something like that too, you're kind of you're kind of at the mercy of the weather because you know you can plan all you want uh, for to to do this on a certain day, but if the weather's not cooperating or if the weather turns unexpectedly in the middle of it, um, you just kind of have to deal. Yeah, and that that was the biggest anxiety leading in. And like for the last two weeks before the swim, we were we were starting to watch the weather forecast, and then uh, especially so in the in the final week because. The longer range weather is not super reliable, but as you get close to the day, uh, the marine weather forecasts are pretty good for wind. And um, there's a lot of information out there. Like, you know, if it's a southeasterly that's blowing at 20 knots that you don't want to be out there in a boat, let alone trying to swim. So um, we did postpone by a day because of that. And um, it was definitely the right call because I swam on a, a day that, you know, started a little choppy, but it ended up fairly calm. And I, you know, that last 15, that second half, 15, if if it had been not calm, that swim would have been a lot more daunting. That's for sure. The weather was, you know, we, it was funny too. The weekend before the swim, it was like flat, calm, like you could water ski and you could like, you know, listen to the water it sounded like a lake, right? Like there, at night, there was just no noise on the water. And then, of course, that that nice weather came in just one week too soon. And then the days leading up to the swim were all just blowing 20 knots from the southeast and then swinging around to 15 knots from the northwest and doing all sorts of things that we didn't want it to be doing. So now we need to speak to your wife and find out what her response was when you approached her with this idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was it was it was supportive, but it was also kind of like. Thanks for sabotaging my maternity leave. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, you know, our daughter Claire is just almost a year old now. So the whole training program, she was, she's an infant, and um, it was, it was busy days. It was yeah. definitely busy days. Well, so speaking of that, what's next? Like now that you're sort of done that, that's in the in the rearview mirror. I don't know. Are, anything else? sort of percolating uh good question i'm not sure yet i i'd like to you know i'd like to um do something again to help someday i don't know exactly when and and what right now i'm trying to be a good husband and dad and and you know spend time with the family and and you know get my work done here at the office and just make up for a very busy first half of the year with that, I, I'm now making sure that I don't neglect other important things in my life. Um, but I, I would like to think there's more out there uh, in the future. There's there's lots lots of good things to do uh, if you can get around to it. Uh, you know, what you guys are doing is awesome, ad- advocating and having a voice. And um, I had my few minutes of doing doing such um and prior to that haven't really been involved and hopefully in the future i can find a a place to you know to be involved um in another way uh well you know i do have to say that you know in the training for this podcast i have been eating 300 calories (laughs) (laughs) perfect 15 minutes (laughs) (laughs) perfect (laughs) doritos 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 yeah yeah that's right. Well, Scott, 
uh, I want to thank you once again for taking some time out and and talking about it. And thank you for for doing that. That's you know, it's an, it's was an incredibly successful fundraising event for sure. Um, and it's always great to to see you know people out there at, um, advocating and, and spreading awareness. So thanks for all the hard work. Well, yeah, thank you guys for taking the time to chat with me today. It's uh, it's it's nice to nice to meet you i i like what you do it's it's a interesting uh interesting podcast <laughs> I love all right it. well you're welcome <laughs> back that's to a safe adjective that's one word <laughs> interesting I, I mean it in a in the positive in the most positive way it's interesting it's good uh, engaging very it. engaging Thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it sir well listen come back anytime you know especially if you decide i don't know to climb mount kilimanjaro or something with caleb uh, that's been done already come on oh, i'm sorry <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i, I don't know what's uh, what's more crazy like uh swim the drake passage or something <laughs> there you go yeah um yeah yeah i'll let you know if i come up with any silly uh, silly plans that we want to talk about but Perfect. Perfect. All right, Scott. Well, thank you again. And uh, we will touch base. All right. Great. Thanks, Thanks, Scott. Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Take care. I think I've only ever done one thing for 11 hours. Power wash somebody's house on a video game? (laughs) No. Okay, two things. The Doritos Doritos (laughs) bicep curls. Oh, there's an AT banter challenge. Dorito uh, bicep go. curl. <laughs> <laughs> you need a lot of you need a lot of Doritos for that to see you how do. many because you got to keep going from the bowl to your mouth. That's one curl. We'll from get Costco behind it. Yeah, uh-huh. I I think I think we I think we need to have a yeah a bicep curl. I'm putting my money on uh, on Scott though. I think Scott can out bicep Dorito curl you. Oh, I don't know. We'll have well, to bring him. We'll have to bring him back. We'll say, listen, now that you're not going to be swimming, you can you can eat a little junk food. So we're going to have a Doritos bicep curl contest. Remember that part where you said you'd be about 400 pounds? We're going to get you there. Too. <laughs> we're going to get you there. <laughs> Hang around this show long enough. Yep. <laughs> so if you really want to go Olympian level, you you factor dip into that. You have to go, <laughs> oh, okay. That, dip that's a mode. yeah. Whole dip that, mode. Wait, that you don't uses dip Doritos, an extra. Do you? Well. Well, it could be yeah, it could. Could. nacho could. division. Well, <laughs> if you're me, you can you could dip it in the cool ranch and the chocolate syrup. Remember we talked about that's another one, another recipe for the AT Banter cookbook, by the way. You know, actually, I don't think that that's a bad idea because you it, we if we had a nickel for every time the conversation goes back to food and the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Or even know because it always <laughs> so, yep. I think that that's probably that would probably be a good idea for us is that chocolate and ranch actually mixed in the same bowl no 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 two you, separate dips no you take cool ranch doritos oh and you i see dip and dip it that into in like and like hershey syrup yeah no that's now, just wrong. now you just do a little dip you don't like dunk it in like it's like a like a kind of like a corner dip What's the point in dipping if you're just dipping a corner? Because you get that nice little hit of sweet and salty. Mm-hmm. But the, for some reason, it only works with Cool Ranch. Listen, I'm not going to fault anyone <laughs> if they think it works well with the nacho or any of the other delicious flavors that Doritos puts out. I sound like I'm advertising now. 
Um, I don't dip my chips. Well, couldn't you just do, you could, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, listen, we, it does not have to be a strictly Dorito bicep curl challenge. It could be a Tostito corn chip and salsa. It could be a Dorito and whatever. Chocolate syrup. No, I think there's a Dorito <laughs> challenge in our future. I just love that we, you know, we just finished talking to somebody who performed an incredible, <laughs> you know, amazing <laughs> athletic feat. And then we just immediately yeah, and it, it's just led us straight back to Doritos. There we go. <laughs> we are a one track pony. We are so <laughs> envious of fit people, are we not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, raised a bunch of money for, for guide dogs and, you know, we just sit on our couches and eat Doritos. Doritos. No, well, it'll have, listen, we're going to put our Zoom video cameras on. So we can, and so somebody will have to judge and make sure people are doing the dip correctly or doing the bicep curl correctly. I'll have to do mine with like celery sticks, but. Yep. Okay. Well, listen, I'll alert the media. We'll get, we'll get them all over this. I think we're listening. We'll donate the proceeds to nobody. Nobody's going to want our money. <laughs> That's right. This money no, has Dorito dust all over nobody, it. <laughs> no one wants to be affiliated, but it's like, please do not raise money for us. We do not want to be tied in okay. with your with your nonsense. No, the D, the DRF will take our money. <laughs> right. Dorito no. Recoverment Fund. That's right. Yeah. All this money smells like nachos. <laughs> Anyways. Um, well, anything else to say about that? I oh, I hope said, not. I think we've said enough. <laughs> Stay right. tuned next week. Yeah, exactly. For our interesting podcast. It shall be interesting. It is. It's always interesting around here. It's true. It is. We, you, can't, you can say a lot of things about us, but you can't say that we're not interesting. Oh, sure you can. <laughs> Shut up, Steve. <laughs> All right. Hey, Liz. Um, hey, Rob. Where can people find us? Mm, they can find us at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire at, we'll see. No cowbell. No, no, don't confuse No cowbell. <laughs> no, they can't reach us there. At cowbell. Bong. 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 At atbanter.com. We almost did the NBC thing. Copyright strike. You're not going to see that shit on Joe Rogan. <laughs> we got to get Joe Rogan on the show. <laughs> Maybe we keep spiking him, so we should reach out and invite him. <laughs> we should see what the hell happens. That would be funny. So. Come join us uh, on our very interesting podcast. That's right. <laughs> hey, maybe he wants to do our Dorito bicep challenge. Hey, listen, yeah. maybe. Maybe. I don't see why anybody wouldn't. We got to okay. fix my original audio first. Yeah, there you go. Uh, what else would, uh, where else can people find us, somebody? Facebook. Really? Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah we're still and there. Twitter. X. And Mastodon. I don't know. Is Matt, really is Mastodon really still a thing? Like, oh, absolutely. Really, yeah. Yep. People. Yep. I, I just can't believe X is still going. Yep. Yep. It I is. Keep it's going to die, but I think oh, just I people think so. don't want to bother moving. I think people are just lazy. Migrating to a new platform is yep. like a lot of work. You have to start over again. Yep. Yep. 
So I don't know. I think I think Elon will have to burn down Twitter slash X like completely. Yeah, most Mastodon. people on Mastodon are still on Twitter. Oh yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, whatever, Sweet. not our problem. That's right. Uh, so what we cover there? Yeah, yeah. So find us on social media. Just go to Facebook and whatever. Uh, anything else, people? Nope. All right. Well, I think that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Scott for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. Bong. 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 This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 